Welcome to the Dealing with Goliath podcast. This is a solo espresso episode that I call 8020 Flow and No Flow. So, this was in reference to a podcast solo episode I did probably recently, might even be the last one. Um, that was all around this idea. It was from uh, the German general von Manstein of smart and lazy being the opportune, being the most beneficial state to be in. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people find that kind of surprising because you think you know, smart and hard working would be better, but smart and lazy. And as I said, it's not a bad one to go back and listen to, but it was the general idea that I took that as smart and focused so that you're not rushing, doing things, grinding through, working for the sake of working, but taking that zoom out taking bigger picture perspective of what's most effective and finding that focus, giving time and space and thought to finding that focus. And this, at the end of it, I mentioned the 80-20 principle amongst other things. And this 80-20, I knew many years ago, but of course it's, it's popped up as these things do more recently. Uh, and just to, uh, I mean, most people at this stage has kind of fallen into the popular culture. And uh, it, it's a fascinating thing, but I think there's often subtleties to it that are lost, which is often the case with things that are deceptively simple, that people either discard it or dismiss it because it's so obvious. It's so obvious, but people often aren't doing it. Uh, first, I should probably explain what it is. Uh, so the 80-20, you know, often I hear people, uh, sometimes I hear people say something like, oh, I take an 80-20 approach to my diet. And you might say, and I remember someone saying this, I said, oh, that's very interesting. How do you mean? And they explained that, oh, well, 80% of the time I eat healthily and 20% of the time I just go mad and I just indulge. And that, that's great. You know, it sounds like a good, a good way to do things. But it's not the 80-20 principle, which is also known as the Pareto principle. Now, Pareto, Wilfredo Pareto was an economist, I believe, back in the mid to late 1800s. He was Swiss, and he'd done this research into the wealth of nations, kind of the idea of Adam Smith, I suppose. And I believe he focused initially on, I think it was France or Germany, and then on to Britain and so on. What he noticed was this amazing, what he called a coincidence, or what people thought was a coincidence at the time, that 80% of the wealth was held or, or created by just 20% of the people. And this, even to this day, this uh, unequal distribution of wealth is uh, highly controversial. To talk about in another episode, but getting a bit political there. But it is this idea that 80% of your outputs come from just 20% of your inputs or 80% of your consequences come from what he called the vital few, these vital few factors, these just 20% factors that have the, the maximum output. When you think about it, this, I think, although this was relatively new and it was kind of obscure for, for many generations, economists knew it, a lot of business people knew this. This it was, I think it was called initially the Pareto Rule. And then Richard Koch printed this book, The 80-20 Principle, uh, uh, where he, he put it into a much broader 
selection of potential applications. So he noticed, well, as I said, Pareto noticed, you know, in his garden that, you know, 80% of the crops of his garden, his little veg garden or herb garden came from 20% of the plants. It wasn't an even distribution. But as I said, Akash expanded that further to noticing that, you know, a lot of anecdotal stuff, but also a lot of research in there. It's quite an interesting book where sort of talking how, you know, you tend to wear 80% of the time you wear just 20% of your clothing. You spend 80% of your time with just 20% of your friends. There's a lot of social implications there. But what was particularly interesting to me uh, well, first of all, is that they, they, they don't need to add up to 100. That's the other little trap a lot of people, oh, 80, 20, 90, 10. It's like, well, yes, but you can, like the internet is a great example of this. Numbers don't need to add up to 100. So, you, you, uh, you know, 0.001% of market players, of companies, can have 98 or 99% of market share. It's this amazing uh, monopoly, particularly in internet, the winner takes all type uh, scenario. But Richard Koch said, pointed out some of these things, uh, as did uh, various others after him. But it's very much the, uh, this idea of simplifying. And Koch really put his money where his mouth is. He's an investor in venture capital and in other areas. And he borrowed, I think it was either from Bain Consulting or Boston Consulting, the simple matrix, matrix called the, the Star Principle. And he has a book called The Star Principle. It's well worth a look. Again, deceptively simple, yet he applied it to become insanely wealthy. <laughs> he was sort of worth, you know, 400 or half a billion quid or something. I, I don't know, some insane amount of money. But his success rate is the point is extremely rare in how unusually high a success uh, ratio of, of, of high hitters is. So we really applied this. And he wrote another book called Simplify, which was along these lines about proposition uh, versus price simplifiers, these two ways of cutting things back rather than adding more. And he gives the example, you know, of one example is Ikea or McDonald's, which were great price simplifiers. So a lot of diners when McDonald's arrived, or diners would have like 80 or 100 items on the menu. McDonald's had something like six. So they were able to, to give a much better price because they had much smaller range. But that tapped into a market need that there was a speed thing that was there. Initially, it was only takeaway, which was relatively new. So it was a huge they could give an amazing price at a fraction of the price of even diners, but have a focus on, on, believe it or not, higher quality at the time was what they were known for. So, but then the other idea was, was the proposition simplifier. So Apple is a great proposition simplifier that's amazingly easy to use. I mean, a lot of people forget that the iPhone came with virtually no manual. Cast your mind back for those of you who can remember Nokia started this with being almost intuitive, but it still wasn't quite, whereas Apple was so intuitive to use, so natural, spent so much time on design simplification. They took out all these options that most people didn't need most of the time. It was this 80-20. What are the 20% of things people needed? 
And they made it very intuitive to find those and be able to work those rather than having a hundred options that you didn't bloody need to comp made things unnecessarily complex. But as I said, Kosh really applied this in the simplification called simplify was the boon of the books and the star principle. Uh, and they're, they're great little reads. They're real Sunday afternoon stuff. You blast through them, but some profound effects. And it, it links in with Gary Keller's this one thing idea where he said, what's the one thing that I can do that by doing it, everything else will be easier or, or unnecessary. So again, it's reaching to what's the, the, the force multiplier was also the phrase I used in that recent blog post on smart and lazy. And this was a question that, because I think a lot of people came to it as I did the 8020 from, Tim Ferriss in his four-hour work week. It's huge. I mean, he credits, you know, Richard Koch and the 80-20 principles, usually because he ended up in hospital. He was working 80 hours, 100-hour weeks on his, I think it was a supplement business or something. And then he just couldn't. He had this uh, horrible medical condition, wasn't possible. So he had to focus right down to just 90, 90 minutes a day. And then that was kind of almost a thought experiment challenge for him. How do you just do four hours work? a week. And as explained in another uh, podcast, you know, people chuckle at that, but it really should have been called the, the four hour grunt work a week that the rest of it, you're doing what you want to be doing, adding the most value. And Perry Marshall ran with this. He has a great book, the 80, 20 of selling of sales and marketing, I should say, where he talks about it, the 80, 20 being highly fractal i.e. The, mo the more you zoom in or indeed zoom out, the pattern stays pretty much the same, like a coastline. You, you zoom into a coastline and it, it's still the same pattern, same echo. Uh, but he talks about this idea of the distribution that there's the 80-20 of the 80-20, which is known as the 4% rule. And he talks about this distribution that in certain situations, he, he mentioned you know, a, a football stadium in the States have they worked out this, that if, if the mass majority of the fans are willing to pay a certain price, a standard price for each ticket or for a season ticket, then 4% of that or less, the 4% of 4%, you know, that was just a few individuals would be able to be prepared to spend literally twenty dollars to $200,000 a game for that uber-exquisite box you know, and they're able to sell everything in between at those different rates and how many people roughly will buy them. If, you know, you know what people at one end will buy and maybe, or people at another end will buy, you can work out that distribution. So it's also a call to when you're designing your services to offer something for mass consumption at a low price. And then the equivalent, if you're only doing one or the other, then something uh, highly rare, for a very much, much higher price. It's fascinating stuff, as I say. But this, I was listening to an interview, this is what reminded me with Tim Ferriss, of all people. I don't listen to his podcast that much anymore, but some interesting ones, but he saw yeah, I, he had Richard Kosh on, so I went, oh, this could be interesting. And Kosh said quite a few interesting things, but one of them in particular was he, he linked 80-20 with flow. And it seems completely obvious when he said it, 
but I hadn't quite put the two together before because big fan of flow state research, Stephen Kotler in particular, one of the, the leading lights in that with the flow state genome project. And he wrote the rise of Superman. He wrote steel and fire. And so just some remarkable books about flow research and how it's just, it really is the cutting edge about this hyper creativity, hyper productivity that humans can achieve when in states of flow. And this building on the back of uh, Sixcent Mihaly, I think his name is, nobody can quite pronounce it because he was sort of the, the, uh, from the University of Chicago where he wrote the book Flow, did that initial research in the 60s, 70s and 80s. But uh, it, it, a lot of this, as I said, then builds on the back of all that Sixcent Mihaly work where McKinsey backed it up with a study where uh, certain executives that manage to attain more flow states, they literally are 500% more productive than their colleagues. So it was a part of research of what, you know, C-suite executives who get ahead, who, who rise, what were they doing to get to C-suite? Or what were they doing once they were at that high level to, to make CEO or to make whatever it is that there was their goal? And often is this magnitude of output more than their than their counterparts. Uh, and DARPA, the, the, the military research group in the United States, they work with, with Stephen Kotler quite a lot on flow states and how uh, snipers trained in flow learn in, I think it was something ridiculous, like a quarter of the time up to the same level of their peers. Their improvement is the same, but it's it's much, much faster when they're in in induced flow state. So it's a huge thing. But this got me thinking about the 80-20 and work output. Because like when you're in, I get totally, I think most people get that intuitive thing that when you're in this, this real flow states where you lose track of time, where you're in fast feedback loops, where you have a clear goal in mind, where you, as I said, and in that fast feedback, you're able to adjust all the time your course and learn, and it's right up there in that challenge part of the brain where you're 4% more, they say 4% more than your ability, so you're right on the edge of what you think you're capable of. And afterward, you know, you don't feel burnt out, but you feel kind of tired but fulfilled, all that sort of stuff. It usually has purpose connected underneath it. I must do more episodes in and around flow states. But what occurred to me and tied in was, I had this opportunity to go see this uh, art show that I wanted to see in this history show there the other day, but I had to finish work much earlier than I'd planned. And it was this thought that, hold on, if I only had 90, the Tim Ferriss thing, if I only had 90 minutes a day to do a full work day, what would you do? It's not a bad way to start planning. It really cuts away a lot of the nice to have and has the absolute need to have and the, that core 20%. Uh, I'm not saying that you need to do that the whole day, like just work 90 minutes, but it does make sure that you get the most important things done, which I've been getting better at again. But as Peter Drucker said, he said, management is doing things right. Leadership is doing the right things. Again, that's where they have a podcast all on its own, isn't it? But it did get me thinking that, you know, he's talking about leadership level 80-20 flow activities. For me, the whole lot of it, that's, that's the thinking. So 
you know, think of it in terms of self-management versus self-leadership. That self-leadership is this big grand vision of where we're going, what we're building, great grand vision of our output and creative endeavors. That's where the, the 80-20 maker time is because there's maker time and manager time, which again, probably another topic right there. And I know that when managers are managing creative people, they have to do this be acutely aware of where they schedule meetings. Because if it's right in the middle of their maker time, they can disrupt that person's flow, work, output for the whole day. It can be ruined. Whereas if it's right at the start or right at the end of the day, then it doesn't interfere as much and it can be it can be actually help creative people or and when I say creative people, I don't talk just about painters or writers. I talk about coders. I talk about anyone who has to make a creative uh, Endeavor who needs to go deep, deep work. A whole other podcast there about Cal Newport's work and how it fits in with it. But is this maker versus manager time? And I think an awful lot of flow is all about maker time, and rightly so. That's where the major leaps in progress are. Just as we said in the this Uber productivity, that five hundred percent, which means basically you turn up for work on Monday, do it in a hardcore flow state, and. If you do nothing else for the rest of the week, you're the same output as the average. That's nuts. That's absolutely nuts. And that's brilliant. But I think there's an oft forgotten area where there's that, that 80-20, that of manager time, that you're doing the things that matter, that you're doing that, but you're not in a flow state. Uh, but I think it's still hugely valuable because it clears the decks for you to do that key core work in those flow states. But often people don't get into them. I know a number of friends and clients who the flow state they get into is almost by accident. It's not by design. Uh, I had designed a course. I, have never, I never really gave it in its entirety, but I designed, gave bits of it around this exact issue about clearing the decks. And clearing the decks is about that 80-20 of manager time, that low level or managing small light flow. It's almost the admin of it. You know, what are the key things I need to do? The key emails you need to reply to, the key ideas that you need to get right clear in your head to send back to be the most effective in that messaging rather than just playing email ping pong or same with your diary. What are the few things in your calendar that need to be there to make sure you get done what absolutely drives you forward? And once again, it goes back to that idea from the smart but lazy, which is about focus, that stepping back, not just trying to be this paradigm of being busy, but actually getting the right things done. I think that continually is the theme that I'm coming back to. And don't get me wrong, look, it's uh, easier said than done. I'm still struggling with this the whole time, as I said. This is where these thoughts come from, is me trying to work these things out for myself. And also so that I have it's better than doing a journal entry, some of these podcasts, you know, so that I can go back to it in weeks or months or hopefully years even to come and go, what the hell was the point I made there? Oh, yes. 80-20 of manager time. What's crucial? What's key? What moves you along? Reflect on it at the end of the week. What can you do better? Did that actually work? Did it not? How well did it work? What can we improve for next week? All to clear the decks so that you have more and more of that 80-20 time that flow time to go into those states where you delivered the best work in your best self.
And that's what I'm usually trying to do for myself and increasingly with clients. I think it's a central thread of what I care about deeply, of what I want to stand for, what I want other people to, to find and discover and hone within themselves. So yeah, two types of flow, often not so much talked about. Smart and lazy, stand back, zoom out to work out what really matters. Mm-hmm.